0: reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 to 23, and that can be found on page 1146 in the Church Bibles. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 to 23, on page 1146. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. Or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God.
1: Good evening, everybody. All of us woke up to tragic news on Thursday. And uh, and yet, just about a few hours earlier, Ukrainians woke up to the sounds of helicopters overhead and missiles through the air, rubble falling to the ground. Terrible. These are people with, with hopes and worries, just like ours. These are people with jobs and hobbies, just like ours. They would have been going about daily life, just as you and I do. Of course, the... The same is true for the young men in the Russian army as well. We are all one humanity. We're all made in the image of God. And yet, God's one humanity, because of selfish ambition, is divided into friend and foe, oppressor and oppressed, target and weapon. We pray for peace And we do look forward to a time when um, the words of Isaiah, chapter 2, will be true. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. It's good for us to remember uh, that that is the future, a world without war. But it's also really important that we know that the incoming tide of peace is a reality here and now as well. Wherever God's people meet like this, that's a glimpse of future glory. Churches are to be outposts of heaven where we imperfectly display to the world what God's kingdom will one day be like. The church should be in part what the new creation will be perfectly. Uh, we're like the appetizer before the main course. And so when it comes to this issue of war and peace, God doesn't want his church to be falling apart into painful divisions. If we're supposed to be displaying what the world should be, God does not want us to fall apart into painful divisions where those divisions already exist between believers between faithful churches god wants us to reconcile to be restored in harmony he wants brothers and sisters faithful local churches to share friendship and heal past hurts as we read right at the start of our series in 1 corinthians chapter 1 verse 10 I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Um, As we've heard over the past few weeks, the church in Corinth was obviously failing at this. They had divided because of obsession over leadership and who was wise and who wasn't. And everything we've heard in the past three chapters has really been getting back, pulling apart this one issue. It's all been a consequence of these divisions. And so now um, we're getting to the end of kind of a section, at the end of chapter three. As we get to the end of that six, uh, section and Paul summarizes, he concludes with three ways that we can avoid division. Three ways, in fact, that we can display to the world, the sort of peace that will one day be reality. So um, let's, uh, let's consider these um, three ways to avoid division. Firstly, reject what belongs to the world. Reject what belongs to the world. Verses 18 and 19, they talk about, if you look at them there, the, the standards of this age and the wisdom of the world. This sort of wisdom belongs to this age. So, of necessity, it's temporary. It belongs to this age. It's temporary. It's a way of thinking that is very much focused on the here and now rather than on eternity. So, if you think according to the standards of this age, then you're going to make decisions with really zero regard for anything eternal. Um, eternal consequences like heaven and hell, really, they're going to have zero impact whatsoever that's the standards of this age. And this sort of wisdom belongs to the world. That means that this sort of wisdom is common among the powerful, the influential, um, the successful. That was certainly the case in Corinth, as we've been looking over the past few weeks. It's wisdom that's, that's merely human. And most importantly, it's in opposition to God's wisdom, as revealed by his Holy Spirit. So if you think this way, with a kind of worldly wisdom, then when you're making decisions or trying to understand the world, you're going to think more in terms of what's common sense, what's expert opinion, what's kind of the popular way that everyone else thinks in philosophy. This is what belongs to the world, and this is what we must reject This is what we must reject, the standards of this age, temporary wisdom, the wisdom of this world, a wisdom that is in opposition with God's Spirit. So that's what we should reject, but how are we to reject it? Well, can you see the two commands in verses 18 and then down in verses 21? Do not deceive yourselves, no more boasting about human leaders. This is, how we are, we, this is how we are to reject this sort of wisdom. I really do think that first command in verse 18 is quite revealing. Those that think they're wise, they are deluded. Deluded. Measuring your wisdom by the standards of this age is like trying to measure your weight in centimetres. Like It's just completely irrelevant. It doesn't tell you anything. People might compliment you for your kind of pragmatic common sense, but that doesn't make you wise. You might get a bit of a kick out of flexing any intellectual muscles you've got or using long words or proving that you're smarter than your peers, but that does not make you wise. Of course, those things might build our self-esteem in the moment, but in the end, we're just deceiving ourselves because there's only one route to wisdom. We see that in verse 18. You should become fools so that you may become wise. Becoming a fool, um, it isn't just throwing away anything vaguely intellectual. Becoming a fool in the context of what we've been reading in 1 Corinthians means understanding the world and ourselves according to the message of the cross. The message of the cross has been described in chapter one as foolishness. And so you become a fool by sticking to the message of the cross. It's such a simple message. Even a child can understand it. I've tried to write it down just in four sentences. God created us for loving, joy-filled life with him. But we sinned, choosing hatred, sorrow, and death instead. So God sent his son Jesus to live the perfect life that we should have lived and die the death that we deserve. But now he's alive so that all, all who believe in him can have what God planned all along from hatred to love, from sorrow to joy, from death. To life. It's as simple as that. That is a simple message. That's four sentences, if you allow me a colon uh, towards the end of one of them. Life forever. Uh, Let me say it this way Becoming a fool means wearing different glasses to everybody else. Some people wear big, thick glasses, Um, they look at the world through the lens of science. Everything has to fit into that way of thinking. That's the first kind of thought that comes to their mind. How do I explain this scientifically through the process of experimentation and observation? Some people wear big, thick glasses. Uh, Other people wear stylish, frameless glasses. Um, Actually, I don't know what's what's stylish. Maybe having big frames is stylish. I'm not sure. But these people look through through life with the lens of what is popular, what is everyone else thinking? What am I seeing the most through media, on TV? I'm going to look at the world that way. Others have plain, boring glasses, and uh, these are the, the common sense people. They look, at, they look at the world through the lens of what just, what just feels right, what's kind of the sensible thing, what's, what's normal. But becoming a fool means throwing away all those glasses, <laughs> Um, becoming a fool means having cross-shaped glasses and yes wearing cross-shaped glasses might look stupid to some you might look foolish but the primary way we consider understand and act in this world is by what makes sense in light of the cross you know that is wisdom that is wisdom Let's not be deceived into thinking we're wise, and let's not be deceived into boasting about supposedly wise leaders, either, as we've been hearing, that the only thing worth boasting in is the cross. So that's, that's how we that's how we reject what belongs to the world uh, by, by wearing the right glasses. And why must we reject what belongs to the world? That's uh, in verse 19. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. Someone might wear big thick glasses or plain boring glasses or stylish frameless glasses. But whatever human wisdom you rely on, it is all foolishness when they leave God out of the equation such wisdom means you're going to be caught in a trap such wisdom means that well such wisdom is futile it's useless in the end so all of us at Christchurch Banstead let's reject what belongs to this world science philosophy and common sense they do have a place they do have a place But that's not the primary way we see the world. Those aren't the glasses that we wear. And we would certainly be fools if uh, we leave God out of the equation. Maybe some of us this evening need a change of perspective, a change of prescription. Uh, In every plan, problem, and decision we make this week, let's wear those cross shaped lenses, glasses. It will change a lot. And I think it will certainly help us stay united and avoid divisions. We uh, avoid divisions by rejecting what belongs to this world. And secondly, appreciate what belongs to us. Appreciate what belongs to us. I reckon most playground fights can be summarized by one word. Mine. That's my ball. That's my coat. That's my toy. uh, Whatever it is. And then later we grow up a bit, but our disputes actually still come down to the same one word. Uh, It's just this time it's like my honor or my pride or my feelings. And we already know that the church in Corinth was split over favorite leaders. My teacher is better than yours. My leader is better than yours. I've got Apollos, You've only got Paul. So there was this unhelpful attitude of that's my teacher. But I think It seems that it also worked the other way around. They had this weird attitude of patronage where they belonged to their favorite teacher. What they were literally saying back in chapter 1 verse 12 is, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. Uh, that's the literal sense there. It's the same way in kind of that culture back then, where low status people would attach themselves to high status people in the world around. Um, they'd give them their allegiance, they'd give them their loyalty, and hopefully in return, these high status people would give them favors. And they'd taken that into church and they were kind of giving themselves to their leaders. We're yours. And then they'd fall out with all of those that belonged to another teacher or another leader. Uh, That's really not good. It's really not good at all. And so we read in verse uh, uh, 21 and 22. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are. Are yours. Now that sounds really good. A lot of stuff seems to be ours, but what does it mean? I think we can summarize this uh, sentence in, in three, three parts. All teachers, all powers, and all of time are yours. All teachers are yours. In other words, you don't belong to them. They belong to you. It's not the job of the congregation to serve the minister. It's the minister who's supposed to serve the congregation. None of us should consider ourselves fans or supporters of any kind of famous celebrity Christian speaker. They are given to build us up, not the other way around. And what a great resource we have. I do love that At Christchurch Banstead, we have so many men and women who faithfully teach God's word. Many, so many who lift up Christ and not themselves. And these are all yours. They're all to build up the church. All teachers are yours. All powers are yours. The world, life and death. These are powerful forces And in our more cynical moments, it's very easy to kind of think everything is against us or everything is against me, especially when suffering comes our way. But all these powers are yours. The world in opposition to God is a great enemy, doubtless. And yet, even the world's worst intentions will be turned from evil to good in God's plans. Life may offer you unbearable burdens and yet they are training us for incomparable glory. Death is our final enemy and yet what's the worst it can do? Deliver a Christian to Jesus. All of these things that seem like they're against us in God's hands, they are for us Every power is ours because they're working for our good. And all of time is yours. That is a statement. That is a statement. The history of the church is going to be a long book. And uh, who knows, it may have thousands and thousands more pages to be written. You've got your own little chapter in there as well. And there's plenty in that book of history that we do not understand. And yet, when that book is read out in glory one day... Everything will make sense. Everything that is so confusing right now, every ounce of suffering that seems to be so wrong and so against us, we'll read it then and we'll know it was all for us. God was using it all for our good. Every every paragraph, every page, it's all ours. All teachers, all powers, all of time is yours. It belongs to us because it's all working for us. God is using it to build his precious church. Do you see how that helps us avoid divisions? When everything's ours, I mean, what's the sense in fighting over what's mine? Why wrestle over pennies when our bank account is so full? Finally, to avoid divisions, remember that we belong to God. Let's uh, pick up at the end of verse 22. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. You, church, you belong to Christ. You, believer, you belong to Christ. Corinth, they got mixed up into thinking that they The church belonged to its leaders. No, we are of Christ. We're his treasured possession. We're so precious to him that he would even die for us to make us his own. It makes no difference whether we're teachers or leaders or congregation. We are all equally his. And Christ is of God. Now, we could have a, a big conversation here about the Trinity. God the Son, just like God the Holy Spirit, is of the same being with God the Father. And yet, at the same time, there's a biblical direction to that relationship. The Son is eternally begotten by the Father, and he accomplishes what the Father initiates. But I think the point is is not so much that here. Paul is saying Christ is of God as like the final link in the chain of belonging. The point is, Christ is of God. And because we are of Christ, we belong to God too. We belong to God. That's that's the reason that this is here. This precious truth, it's been repeated throughout this chapter. Verse 9 We are fellow workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. And then verse 16 as well, God's temple. And verse 17, God's temple, God's temple. Again and again, repeated again, we belong to God. We are his. And that is such a privilege. When God sees his church attacked in Ukraine and elsewhere, Filled with with passion and desire for justice. Our God says, mine. We can be sure that he will care for his people and work for their good. And when he sees you struggling and weighed down, be sure that full of care and concern, he says, mine. And with all the love in the world filled with grace and compassion and mercy. He will work all things for your good. And again, this is going to help us heal our divisions and avoid them in the first place. Remembering that we belong to God, it levels the playing field, doesn't it? There's no hierarchy here. Yes, we have different gifts and different responsibilities, but there is no hierarchy here if there are people that you don't see eye to eye with, if there are people that do things differently to you, remember that they belong to God just as you, much as you do. And that will make all the difference in the world. I'll finish with this. and I think we need to hear this well. Don't we all crave belonging? Don't we all... Want to leave loneliness and exclusion behind. We might try to satisfy that longing with with family, with friends, with societies. But only in God will we have that desire perfectly satisfied. Only in belonging to God will we have that ache, that gap finally made right. Come to Christ trust in him and find true belonging as the Father opens his arms in welcome to you. Let's pray. Father God, we do pray that you would forgive us where we failed in this this manner. Lord, we pray that you would help us to heal our divisions, and avoid them in the first place. Lord, we pray that you would give us a, an overwhelming appreciation for the fact that we are yours. Father, we pray that you would help us to remember how much is ours in Christ. And we pray that you would help us to say no to worldly wisdom and see everything through the lens of the cross. Please change us in this way. Amen.